Hello there, you're listening to Context, giving you a biblical perspective on issues of race, inequality, gender, abortion, culture, and so much more with Timba Lamini. Did God make culture? In other words, where does culture come from? That's what we will be addressing in today's episode. Have you ever thought about how birds learn how to make nests typical to their species? We know from ethology or the scientific study of animal behavior that their skill is entirely instinctive. Take man's best friend, dogs, for example. Dogs raised apart from any other dogs will whine, growl, yelp and bark in a manner typical of their breed and they are not dependent upon other dogs in order to know what kind of sounds to utter in accordance with particular types of stimuli and provocations. But with humans, things are different. Take a Chinese child raised entirely in a Zulu-speaking environment. This child will grow up knowing only Zulu and not a word of Mandarin. Language is a feature of culture, though of course, while my five-month baby boy was born making oral noises, which is part of every human's biological equipment, he must be taught and learn to speak from observing us around our home. The point I'm making is that there is no such thing as a genetic or biological human culture. So the question arises that if culture is neither a function of genetics nor biology, Why then do we have different cultures? Is it because of race or an accident of geography or social environment? Hello and welcome to Context. We are back with more Godly Fire. It is so good to be back. We are finally tackling a topic that many of you have asked us to desperately address. And that is the topic of Christ and culture. If this is your first time here, thank you for taking time out to join us. We're going to have a good time learning and equipping so that we can live our best life for Jesus in our context. Firstly, let's start with race. Is race responsible for culture? I'm not the first one, nor will I be the last to speculate about the reasons for the cultural differences in people. Throughout the centuries, many greater or more intelligent men and women have wrestled with this question. The oldest, most overused, and perhaps the intellectually laziest response, in my opinion, has been race. Black people are just born to act that way. As South Africans, we are not strangers to such rude, bigoted cultural guesses. The whole doctrine of colonialism and apartheid was built upon the sinking sand. Of course, in South Africa's case in particular, race and culture have been historically related to engineered racial isolation. However, history and anthropology, which is the study of human societies and cultures, reveal and crush the contradictions of the theory of the racial basis or racial explanations for what forms culture. African Americans with West African roots, for instance, do not subscribe to the West African culture, despite a shared ancestral origin. It is just as hard for the average African American to adjust to African life as it would arguably be for the average white American. In South Africa, the coincidence of racial and cultural differences is a historical fact. 
But there is no causal link, except that through forced legislated cultural separation on the basis of race, race incidentally has been the vehicle to increase cultural differences by limiting cultural cross-pollination through racial legislation like the Native Land Act 27 of 1913, which forced spatial separation and the prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act number 55 of 1949, which outlawed interracial marriage. That being said, I hope I've made my argument that race is insufficient to explain cultural differences and that race does not give rise to or explain culture or cultural differences. The next question is whether we can explain our culture through geography. In other words, is culture purely a coincidence of where people live? Again, here many have tried, and while geography can explain things like dress codes or what people eat, it is insufficient to account for the full ambit of culture. If geography alone determined patterns of life, then the custom of cutting the left pinky finger of the Ngubane clan amongst Zulus would be practiced by all in Zululand. Yet this is not the case, even more so amongst Ngubanes themselves. I mean, I have a friend of mine who is Ngubani and he still has his left pinky finger intact. There are multiple of examples I can name. I'm sure you can too. How about leaving us a comment and let us know? I'm sure we can agree that geography and the physical environment are insufficient to account for the differences in cultures. Now that we agree race and geography are insufficient in explaining culture, what is another explanation? Some scholars, including many ordinary South Africans, believe that culture accounts for everything. In other words, culture precedes people. The argument here is that we are all conditioned by culture, by the pre-existing cultural environment in our society or social environment. This is more like the chicken and egg debate in what came first, the people or the culture of the people. If it is the culture and people's behavior being entirely conditioned by the culture, then culture would not change. Further, there are people who do things differently to the cultural demands of their society, the so-called cultural non-conformists, if you like. To that end, I would argue that culture is not self-made, nor does it precede people, even whilst people are influenced by culture. However, while culture is not self-made, there is a human society that not only expresses this culture, but transmits it. Culture is like a vehicle. People in rural areas may drive 4x4s, while people in cities may drive sedans, and some on the coast or islands may use boats to travel. The mode of transport did not make them, but they made it for transportation. Culture is the same. It is the vehicle, or it is a vehicle each generation uses to transport its people to the next generation. Similar to how without people there would not be vehicles, without society there is no culture. Culture is a byproduct of society and not the other way around. Whilst race, geography, and even culture or social environment are inadequate in explaining culture alone, we must agree that when viewed collectively, they combine as a fundamental basis of culture. Culture is a way of behaving, thinking, and reacting, but we do not see the culture. We see manifestations of culture in particular objects, things made or used by people, and actions, what people do or say. 
Culture becomes a full expression of the individuals, how those individuals interact with each other as a society in response to geography and its soil content, plant life, animal life, and weather patterns, and specific threats to their survival as a society or as individuals all converge to form a culture that is necessary to their survival as a people group or necessary to transport them as a people to the next generation. Just like geography, the plants, animals, weather patterns and seasons are God-made, I would argue that culture is God-made. In the order of creation, I believe God made the chicken and gave it the ability to produce through laying eggs. So in essence, God made both the chicken and the egg. Taking the same analogy, God made humans with certain behaviors, the chicken, if you like, necessary for survival and reproduction. And in Genesis 1 verses 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply or increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Individually, man could not survive, let alone subdue the earth, but collectively they can. Equally, if people get together, but each one does their own thing, that would lead to disorder and anarchy. And again, potential extinction. And so a system and the way of doing things in society was and is needed. And that way of life is culture. So just as God made humans, God made culture. The answer to our question is yes, God made culture. Then what about cultures that espouse things that are contrary to the Bible? In the South African Nguni culture, for instance, you had a time when Isindu, meaning culture, dictated that if a mother gave birth to twins, the one twin had to be killed, usually by being thrown in the river. There is evidence of this custom across all of Africa, with some tribes still practicing it today. I'm grateful that when the gospel entered South Africa, that aspect of culture was abolished and seen for what it was, evil, because it took the life of an innocent child. However, this is the very same culture that gave us the now world-famous word Ubuntu. For those of you who don't know Ubuntu, Ubuntu says, Umuntu ngumuntu ngabantu. I am a human being because of other humans, or I am because you are. It acknowledges the human quality which aligns to Genesis that says all humans are created equal. It also espouses Jesus' revolutionary teaching that love your neighbor as yourself in that Ubuntu acknowledges the human interconnectedness and interdependence that is not always apparent in our contemporary culture of individualism and even tribalism and racism, which fails to elevate the equality of all human beings beyond self, tribe, and race. Implicit in Ubuntu is the acknowledgement that we can only flourish as humans together like Umvelingangi, Nguni for God, intended us to. And it is only if we love and do unto others as we would unto ourselves that we can thrive to the glory of God as a society. How can a culture with such beautiful facets also advocate for the killing of infants simply because they were born a twin? 
I'd say the same way you plant beans in the field, which are beautiful nourishment, that very same field brings about weeds like blackjacks, which, which choke the crop and are deadly when eaten, is the same way bad and evil practices encroach on cultures, suffocating the good in them. And the next obvious question is where do weeds and bad cultural practices come from? Let's dial back a bit. When God created the earth, plants, weather, humans, etc., he said it was good. So man and by extension culture are inherently good according to the Bible. However, when Adam sinned, the ground was cursed and humans were defiled. The consequence was that the ground produced thorns and weeds and like weeds to soil, sin was sown in the hearts of humans. Now, do weeds mean the soil is bad? No. However, they defile the soil. In the same way, are human cultures bad? No. However, sin defiles culture. Now the question is, if culture is God made and good and yet contaminated by sin at the same time, what should we do about human culture, specifically our African culture? I'm glad you asked. Historically, missionaries preached that culture and specifically African culture was evil. This led to a gross misrepresentation of the gospel. Call this the weeds that came with the gospel to certain parts of Africa. I say certain parts because the gospel came to Africa through the apostles already in the first century before European missionaries in the 14th century brought it to sub-Saharan Africa. A topic I would like to discuss in our upcoming episodes. This was through the erroneous theology of the missionaries that preached that all African practices that were not understood by them were inherently evil. Yet the very same missionaries housed the gospel within their European culture and did not realize that what they did and even how they interpreted the Bible was influenced and seen through the lens of their culture. Imagine an American driver saying to a South African driver that right-hand drive cars are inherently evil and wrong and can't be redeemed because they cannot be driven on American roads. Whilst the American may be right that cars must be left-hand drive to be fit for purpose on American roads because they drive on the right, they would be inappropriate for the South African context because we drive on the left. In the South African context, we would hopefully all laughed that off as ridiculous. Yet, that is exactly what happened when missionaries declared all African practices as evil. The resultant impact being that white or European culture was Christianized or allowed to coexist with Christianity, while African culture was demonized in totality. I'm not saying that everything the missionaries said and did must be viewed with suspicion, but I am saying that African culture needs a fresher, godlier look. In other words, as we seek to bring the kingdom to bear in culture, we need to look again through the lens of the weeds and soil analogy as well as the vehicle analogy. And number one, receive the good in a culture like the principle of Ubuntu. Number two, reject the evil like the killing of twins. Number three, redeem the parts of culture that started good but have been marred by greed and elitism like Ilobolo. Fasten your seatbelt and brace yourself. This is going to be an amazing series where we will be 
deep diving into culture and exploring all its nooks and crannies and viewing it in light of the kingdom culture we are to pursue as believers of Christ. We will have amazing guests like Ryan Seville of God First Forward, Sihle Lamin of Hatfield Christian Church, Mosala Balatsing of Grace Bible Church in Peter Mansburg, Greg Tate of God First Parks in Joburg, and many others who will help us restore God's design for culture. With those words, I want to say to you, Sa Laniga Until next time, cheers, bye bye. Thank you for listening to Context. We pray that today's podcast helps you live your best life for God and that you're encouraged to invite others to do the same. If today's discussion was helpful to you, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. In doing so, you will help others learn more about living for God in our context. If you would like to get in touch with us, please contact us on the details in the description. Because truly, context is everything.